0: Join me as we listen to the Lord's word. Hebrews 11:1. Now, faith is the proof of what is not seen. Faith is a word you hear a lot. It may even be a word you use a lot. I have faith in you. Take that leap of faith. A dog is a faithful friend. But have you ever tried to tell someone what it meant? And when the going gets tough and the tough open their Bibles, Hebrew 11 describes faith as a proof of what is not seen, like feeling the unseen wind on your face. Faith is a feeling in your heart that just knows. God has told us about himself and we can trust what he has said. You know God created the universe. You believe him, he is always with you. He is in control of everything. It grows over time with every little whisper from God, every rainbow, every kiss on the forehead, every answer to prayer are proof of God. And the promises that he has for us. Believe, trust, know, and your faith will always grow. Let us worship.
1: Isaiah 65. This morning we're going to be looking at an Old Testament passage. There is a theme that uh, you'll hear me speak of and already in my prayer this morning that runs throughout Scripture. And this idea that God is making us New. And not only is he making us new, but he will one day make creation itself new as well. And Isaiah is a wonderful passage of, of a prophetic word from Isaiah. And he reminds us of that time that took place there in the beginning uh, of, of time, there in the garden. And you'll hear some uh, messages of that. But Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build on another in, in and in, inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will, bear, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust, and they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And now, Revelation. John is the king of symbolism, Of metaphors and images. And here we find one of the greatest descriptions and the most definitive passages on heaven in all of the scripture. Revelation 21, uh, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new also he said write this for these words are trustworthy and true and then he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life and those who conquer will inherit these things and i will be their god and they will be my children may god add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word this morning strange word that we often use in talking about the end times or God's long-term plan for humankind is the word eschatology. You may have heard that word before. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. It literally means study of last things, but it means so much more. It also denotes that history is going somewhere under the guidance of God, and it's going towards a new world that God has promised to his children, a world of justice, healing, and a world of hope. A world where his children are forever with him. God is always at work. And like I said before I read scripture, a theme that we see throughout scripture is this theme of God making his children new. And not only making his children new, but we read in multiple places about God's desire and will to make his creation one day new as well. A verse that I was introduced to as a child and you may remember this verse as well is found in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Paul says these words, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. The idea and the reality that God takes someone as they are and does something new with them is a fundamental, core, basic belief of the Christian faith. It is the substance of the gospel. It is the hope of the gospel that I preach, that we sing about, that we worship, that we study, that we serve. God takes broken people, sinful people, people that are far from him, and restores them, renews them in right relationship, reconciles us in relationship to him, and he changes us. Sometimes that change is dramatic. Sometimes it's more subtle. But nevertheless, all of us who have walked with God for years could speak hopefully of how God has changed us, how he has transformed us, how he has redeemed us, and that we are walking in closer fellowship. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But it does mean that God, we sense and know that God is doing something in us. And it's the hope for our faith, not only that Christ has saved us and redeemed us, but that He is continually doing something in us, making us new, making us more like Himself. But if I told you that God will one day do this with creation itself, would you believe me? And would you believe me if I told you that for the believer, heaven is not your final destination. But it is the new Jerusalem and the new earth that we read about today in Revelation 21. Let me stop here and say this. On Sunday mornings, I do a lot of preaching and uh, there's a lot of listening, uh, hopefully. Some Sundays may be better than others, but uh, there's not a lot of give and take. There's not a lot of back and forth. But on Wednesdays, starting this Wednesday, in the Kerygma Room at 11 and then again at 6, we're going to be talking about and studying heaven a little deeper. Maybe uh, I've got the wheels turning a little bit in your thoughts uh, about heaven. We're going to be studying it, and there'll be more opportunity for give and take. I realize in what I just said, too, I've got some explaining to do when I made the comment that heaven is not our final destination. If we leave this earth today, I do believe that heaven is our destination. But the, when the culmination, this eschatology, this, this end times, this this big story of God begins to culminate. After the final judgment, the scripture speaks of us living in a new heaven and the new earth. So let's let the scripture help us with this. And since the creation of time, since I said this morning, we learn of this idea of God making all things new. God said in Genesis one, after each day, what he made, he said, it it, it is good. And we realize that um, after the sixth day, um, it's interesting that after the sixth day, we read, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. In Genesis 3, as the story goes, many of you know it, we read of sin entering God's created order, affecting not only people, but affecting creation itself. And throughout scripture, we read the biblical writers painting a picture that speaks of God's redemptive work, bringing about a renovation of his creation, We read this morning in Isaiah 65, he spoke of creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus spoke of a new world in Matthew in the gospel 19 verse 28 when he spoke of the renewal of all things. Paul used this theme not only in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that I just read, but he also used it in Galatians 6.15. He reminds his audience that what matters is not circumcision, but whether we have been transformed into a new creation. This is an underlying theme of all of scripture, but also in Paul's writings as well. Ephesians 4.24, Paul writes about putting on the new nature. Peter includes in his writings about the redeemed looking for the new heaven and the new earth in 2 Peter chapter 3. We also have non-biblical sources that write about this new heaven and new earth, this idea of being made new and God's people and his world being made new. We see it in in many places in other writings outside of scripture as well. Several weeks ago, I placed an empty frame here. Uh, I talked about the fact that my wife came home with this empty frame and I asked her what she was going to put in it. And she said, nothing. She said, it's just a beautiful frame. And so it, it, it finds itself in different places of our home and it's found itself here on our um, uh, stage for the last several weeks. And I ask you to imagine with me about heaven and not only heaven, but God's just unseen world of activity. Next Sunday, I encourage you to come back and bring a friend. We're going to talk about something that I've never preached on and something that I've been reading and studying on, but the topic of Angels. And what are they? And how are they working in and through us and in the world today? And so as we think about this frame, we think about God's unseen world, not only about heaven, we think about angels. Randy Alcorn, in his comprehensive book titled Simply Heaven, proposes that we don't need to look up to the clouds to imagine heaven. He says we simply need to look around and imagine what all this would, would be like without sin, without death, and without corruption. That is a great picture of the new earth. Imagine people and earth, all of our surroundings in their original condition. There's no more storms. There's no more drastic weather patterns that interrupt life and that cause harm and death. You can imagine the happy dog wagging its tail, not the snarling dog beaten and starved. We can imagine flowers unwilted, grass that doesn't die, blue sky without pollution. Everyone smiling and joyful. No one angry, depressed, or empty. No one with not enough. Let your mind take you to the most beautiful place that you can imagine, or maybe a place that you've been, a place that you've seen. Everyone walking around having strong and healthy bodies. No one is mean. Imagine what life was like in the garden with God as Adam and Eve is the beginning of time as those walked with God in the garden. Can you imagine a place like that? Can you imagine a world here? It's hard to, to do that because of the world that we live in today. All we've known is corruption. All we've known is people that, that do us wrong and people that do this and do this. But can you imagine, if you will, as we think about this frame and what that would look like, can you imagine with me a world where um, kindness was the rule of the day? Like I said, where you didn't have to worry about not knowing where your next meal was coming from. You didn't have to worry about not having enough, but everyone had enough. Everything was in bloom. Fruit was the sweetest and the best tasting fruit that you've ever enjoyed. These are images that the scripture gives us about heaven, images that we will discuss more on Wednesdays, but images that we see here uh, in part in Revelation 21 as well. I brought with me a book to the platform this morning. <clears throat> it's called Heaven in the American Imagination. I've been reading several books uh, throughout the study and preparation and still reading them and I'll be, be continually reading them over the course of the summer. But this is a book by a historian. His name is Gary Scott Smith. He teaches in a college up north. But It's called Heaven in the American Imagination. And in it, he goes, he starts with the Puritans and then he goes through different eras of our country's history. Uh, to the first great awakening, second great awakening, uh, maybe from the, from the civil war. He spent some time on that, Uh, the industrial revolution, uh, the 1900s. And he, and and throughout the book, he talks about Americans and their view of heaven throughout the centuries. And I love the title. And I just have to say this for uh, the title that he gives for uh, the modern era. And um, he gives it this title and I can't find my glasses. I think I have it here. He says, he says this. He says, heaven in a postmodern, anxiety-ridden, entertainment-oriented, therapeutic, happiness-based culture. Does that sound about right? I think so. I think, I think he nailed it there. But over the centuries, uh, in different eras, and different times, our views and thoughts on heaven evolve. But this morning, I want us to clearly look at Revelation 21. So what does the new heaven and the new earth Look like. John gives us a great description here in Revelation 21 and 22. In verse 1, he says, First, I saw, first, it it tells us that it's a vision. John is apocalyptic writing here in the book of Revelation, and uh, yet again, John sees. John has a vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, clearly a vision. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I don't know about you, but many of you have already been to the large sea, the ocean, uh, this summer. Some of you maybe are going later in the summer. But it's a place where I enjoy going. It's a place where, many of you, it's your happy place. Um, maybe it's your heaven on earth in some ways. But here, John speaks of it in a way that the people, obviously his audience who he was writing to, knew what he was saying when he said, no more sea. You see, before the day of safe ships and compasses and reliable navigation, individuals had a fear of the sea. Husbands, other family members would leave home and not arrive at their destination and some simply never return. The sea was not what we think of it today. To John's audience, the sea also symbolized evil. We read of references to John's sea dragon in Revelation or we read in the scripture about the Leviathan creature mentioned in the Old Testament. We also think of Jesus in Mark five and Matthew eight casting demons and where did he send them? The, the, the garrison demoniac, he sent the, the demons into the swine, the pigs, who went where? Who went into the sea. And so to them, to his audience, that Jesus was, was telling this parable or was, was, was doing this, the idea of the demons going back into the sea, they're going back from whence they came. And so the sea was something very different for John's audience. There was no more sea was welcomed words To the original audience here for John. Verse 2 I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The world that we live in is destined for transformation, and thank goodness. Amen. The city itself is portrayed as a bride adorned for her husband. The larger picture of Revelation back in chapter 17 puts this image in contrast with a different lady. I've heard Dr. Canoy say that Chapter 17 of Revelation would be the X-rated uh, chapter of the Bible, and I'll let you go read that some later. But it speaks of the harlot; it speaks of a different type of lady as well. And then, of course, of course it talks about the defeat, the destruction of, of this uh, of this lady as well. But it's a but to the readers of Revelation as you read throughout Revelation, as we again begin in the middle or near the end of a book, it's helpful to know what has happened. Prior to that, so in chapter 17, John has, uh, in in many ways, in 21, contrasting. We had the harlot mentioned in chapter 17, representing the evil city, and now we have the pure bride in the holy city, in chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men; he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them." The throne of God has moved from a secluded place where no one could enter, no one could have fellowship, now to being among the people and with the people. God is dwelling amongst us and we are dwelling with him. Three times in this one verse, he references the word among, among them, among them in my New American Standard translation. The relationship with God is now complete and intimate with all as he walks with him and dwells among them. In verse four of Revelation 21, he will wipe away, this is, the, this is the verse, this is the verse that we think about when we think about heaven, at least it comes to my mind first. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no, long, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. The tears we shed, the tears we cause will be no more. No more death, no more sorrow, no more grief. I want to speak a minute in chapter four when it says the former things have passed away. Here at the church, oftentimes when I'm communicating with the staff or with the church family about someone, I'll say so-and-so passed. Recently when Rachel Mack passed, I'll say Rachel Mack passed away last night. That's a, a phrase, that's a common expression that we use here. I read this week how we assume that things, that things pass away when death comes, but in Revelations, things pass away when death goes away. And I can't remember the author that said this, but it says, in Revelations' strange upside-down world, saying that the first or former things have passed away means that death will be no more, no more mourning, crying, or pain. When death passes away, The crying, the pain, the sorrow passes away for John in Revelation. The first heaven and the earth that pass away speak of a world in which death was active. To take death out of the picture is to bring about a new world and a new creation. Verse five of Revelation 21, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write these words Uh, right for these words are faithful and true this last week i think it may have been monday night aiden and i he's been getting a little bit into golf and we went out to a place i've been wanting to go to ever since i moved back into boiling springs four years ago and that was challenger three a place where i learned how to play golf and so i was like aiden as he's learning how to play golf we're going to go to challenger three and now it's called like oak hills mills something like that the names changed but we went out there Monday night, and yes, it was hot and all that. But we went late in the day, and um, we had a great time playing golf. And then we went over and, and played some putt putt and finished out our evening on the go karts. Now, I was looking forward to the go karts too, I have to be honest with you. And uh, the idea of being in a go kart and racing around with Aiden was, was a good idea. And again, it's this idea of newness. You, you don't ride go karts every day, so it's not, you know, so it's something new. So we're we're the only two out there. And, uh, we, because we're the only two out there, they let us go for a while. And I noticed that about after the sixth, seventh lap, I kept looking over in some small ways, warning them to say, come on back in. I'm six foot eight in a little golf cart. Okay. I was sore for two days this week after that, uh, after that ride. But I, you know, by the 10th lap, I, I was fine. I was I was thinking to myself, come on now, you know, call us in, call us in. And, and I say all that to say this, what was new and what was exciting, this idea of riding in the, in the go-karts, after several laps, it became old. If you'd asked me earlier today, are you excited about riding the go-karts, I'd said yes. But after about the eighth lap, it, it became old. And I want to say this too, when I think of something new, we, my, our minds tend to go to Christmas because we all hopefully get something new. Maybe small, maybe large, but yet it's, it's something new. It's something that we don't have. And so the kid in, in our home, if you've had kids in your home and you know that, that there's this anticipation and that's part of what makes Christmas special, this part of anticipation that they want stuff and they don't know what they're going to get, but they, but they know they're going to get something new and something exciting. But invariably what happens in many homes all over America and all over the world a few days after Christmas is this, the toys don't break. Broken toys can be replaced or fixed, but something far worse happens with those toys that were received at Christmas. They, they become what? They become old. But can you imagine with me a place where every day you wake up, and it's not a new that, I know some people are like, I don't like too much new. It just, it, it, you know, it can overwhelm me. But can you imagine in heaven waking up to a place Every day where nothing gets old, where it's new every day. Some of you think for eternity, after we've been there hundred thousands or millions of years, it, it's got to get old. And I told you before, don't think of this idea of just sitting on a white cloud playing a harp. That would get old for me in about five minutes. That's not what Jesus is talking about here in Revelation 21. But he says in verse, in verse five, he says, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new church. That's good news because we certainly need to be made new ourselves and we live in a world that desperately needs to be made new. We see evidence of that every day, whether we read it on your phones, tablets, computers, television, whatever it may be, we desperately live in a world that needs to be made new. God is not static, he is making all things new. Can you imagine, again, the excitement of something new happening every day for eternity? We all know the excitement of a new adventure as well and what that is. And hopefully that doesn't bring you anxiety because that's not my goal this morning, but is hopefully that brings you excitement to think about a new adventure, to see a new place, a new scenery. Um, I see some of your pictures on Facebook this summer from new places that you've gone. And obviously you're excited about that new experience. In verse six, he said, he said to me, it is done, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the waters of life without Cost When Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega, these were the first and last words of the Greek alphabet. And it was not only, as we think about it in our time, a beginning and the end. When he says alpha, there's this sense here that he is the source of life. He was there at the beginning of time and he is here with us now. He, is, he was that source of the beginning and he is the omega. It's not just this final end, but it's a consummation. It's a consummation of everything we have known in our world There's a lot about the end times that I'm still learning and I'm still growing about as a pastor, Um, and that's why I look forward to, on Wednesdays, us talking more about heaven and eschatology and some of these words that we don't always throw around from the pulpit on Sunday morning, but I'm looking forward to that. But Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the source of all life, but I'm also the consummation of life as we know it. There are other images found in in Revelation 21 and 22, and I won't go through all of them, but one that I wanted to point out is in verse 11, they begin to describe uh, characteristics uh, and put different jewels many times as a description of um, of, of heaven. He says in verse 11, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. In verse 11, verse 18 of chapter 21, he goes on to say the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. You ever seen gold that was like clear glass? And again, John is the king of imagery and metaphors and symbolism. And then he goes on to say in verse 21 of chapter 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The gold that I've seen is not transparent. But there's a theme, I think, that John was clearly trying to communicate here. All will be known. We will be fully known by God. I love the song that um, Tarn Wells has been on the radio months ago and still is about the grace of God, how we can be fully known and loved by God. We'll be fully known, but yet loved by God. And not only will we be fully known by God, but God will be fully known to us. We will be together. Scripture tells us in verse, was it three or four, that we'll be dwelling. God will be dwelling among us. But this idea of transparency is a theme that we see here in Revelation 21. In this life, we can only see so much. But what would the church be like today if there was more transparency? If heaven were to come to earth, as your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven as it is on earth, what would that look like? Where, where we are, there, where we're there for each other for all the right reasons. And where in conversation you don't have to worry if the other person is sizing you up for something. But the picture we get of this new Jerusalem is consistently transparent with others and with God. We will see God and be seen by God at all times. Remember the, the garden and what first happened? Uh, there in chapter three with man's sin, humankind went into hiding. The day is coming when we will have no reason to hide from God. We will be fully seen, fully known, and in his presence. And only, the only reason we will be able to do that is because of his son, Jesus Christ. The throne is not somewhere off in the distance. The throne room is here and now it's among us. The tabernacle and the temple was often used for sacrifice and often used to denote the presence of God but those will no longer be needed as it said back in, I think it was verse three. God will be dwelling among us. We will be dwelling with him, walking in fellowship with him. God will be making all things new. A theme throughout scripture, a theme throughout revelation. I want to ask you this question as I begin to close. How might we participate in that renewal? God has called us to walk in fellowship and in relationship with him. He's called us to uh, be kingdom uh, people. He's called us to live out this kingdom on heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we are living out God's kingdom in our lives, then we're going to be pursuing relationships that are healthy, uh, that oftentimes is difficult for us because we're flawed and the people that we're in relationship with are flawed. But nevertheless, God's kingdom, hopefully a little part of God's kingdom can be seen in us and through us and with God's people. Yes, God's people are flawed and sometimes are deeply hurt from other people that are a part of God's kingdom. However, what would it look like if God's people were transparent, if God's people were forgiving and, for, and loving and and kind and all of the things that we associate with heaven were present here on earth. When we allow God's presence to work in us and move in us and allow his presence to be uh, uh, manifested in and through us, we begin to see a taste of what heaven is like here on the earth. How might we participate in this renewal? I believe with Paul that with the resurrection of Jesus, a new world has begun. I also believe and scripture teaches that as we are transformed into the new creation and when we act and speak in ways, we communicate the good news of the gospel. We are serving a taste of what the new earth will be like. God is still writing my story. He's still writing your story. He is still making all things new. Will you let God finish what he started in you Will you partner with God and say, God, I'm open to allow you to work and to move and to shape me into the new creature, the new creation that you desire for me to be. And I know that God, as you do that, this world will begin to sense something new. This world will begin to sense hope that it currently does not have when it begins to see God living in you and in me. Will you pray with me? God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that when we read it, that when we study it, it, it's not words on a page from some other book, but Lord, there's, there's something about life and creation and death and resurrection and hope, reconciliation, redemption that is found within it. It is good news for the redeemed and for the lost. It is good news. God, we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that you call us in relationship with you, and we're thankful that one day, We will be made new in every way. And not only will we be made new, but all creation itself will be made new. Help us, God, to live a life in the midst of the world where things are not new today. Help us, God, to um, live a life that shows others the good news and the hope that we have in a relationship with you. We're thankful for the resurrection. the, the, um, The new creation, the new world was started. Lord, and began on Resurrection Sunday. Father, when you were victorious over sin and over death. Oh God, how we long to be made new. Lord, if there are any here today that have never put their faith and trust in you and that process has not begun, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, if there are others who have been pursuing the things of earth and not meditating on the things above and have just been going their own way and not allowing you to do the new work that you began so long ago in them, Lord, I pray that today they would find uh, renewal in their relationship with you. God, if there are those here that would desire to grow and to join and partner with Bowling Springs Baptist as we seek to be kingdom people, Lord, may you speak to them and lead them to the altar to join today. God, we love you. We thank you for your love and grace. We thank you that you're making us new. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing a popular new hymn in Christ Alone, hymn number 569. This is a hymn that deals with that total consummation, that story from the beginning to the end. So let the word speak as you sing. If the Lord leads you, you come as we sing. Let's stand and sing in Christ Alone.